0: Hello folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and I'm joined tonight by Kyle Maggio. What's going on, man? Nothing much. Usually Kyle and I talk before we start recording the pod. We didn't have a second to talk about this game yet so that you guys are getting the unadulterated feelings from Kyle and I right now. We are delivering that right to your ears after this Knicks Pacers game in which Victor Oladipo single-handedly ripped the heart out of the New York Knicks on the MSG garden floor. So there was a lot going on here, man. First
1: of all, I've been a gigantic Oladipo stand since he was in college. That's back when I watched college more frequently, and I loved him. I thought he was going to be a star immediately with Orlando. I thought he was going to be the one that turned it around. Didn't work out that way. Didn't work out in OKC, and then, of course, now he flourishes for the always, always a uh, annoying pacer. So I-, I love Oladipo. I always I, I enjoyed him last year, and uh, it's just frustrating when you have to get angry about losing to a guy that you actually enjoy as a player. But, uh, so that sucked. And then it was a wild ride on the uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. bandwagon that you and I sit firmly in the front of. And he had a phenomenal 45 or so minutes, 46 minutes, and then a little bit troubling late with the turnovers. Um, Frank wasn't really phenomenal today. Um, and, and Cantor just got...
0: Oh, just unspeakable things happen at his canter tonight. He looks like he's just pissed that he's on the bench, like that he's coming off the bench and playing in the second unit. It's all over his body language, you can tell, because when he's in the starting lineup, he doesn't do a lot of the things that we've seen him do recently. Like he's had a couple where he's just hacking, and we see him do that sometimes, but there's been a few where he's kind of lollygagging, and he's always hustling on the floor. It's been a couple times when he's looked at teammates. I don't know. His body language, it's not good right now.
1: It's not, and, I, and I, I always hate accusing guys of sulking, unless it's like really clear, and the only real clear instance I saw was, he. I mean, we saw he was getting blocked all night tonight, he just, normally he tries to muscle his way in, and he just could not do that with Miles Turner or uh, Sabonis, so... Sabonis. Sabonis made him look
0: like a piece of shit all night. Yeah, on both ends. On I think both that ends. Was,
1: that's what, that was the worst part of it, because normally Ennis Cantor will get fucked on defense, and Normally, it's when there's a lot of action happening because he's actually a fine, for the most part, man-to-man guy. He's not amazing, but he's—I'm not going to sit here and call him a terrible defender man-to-man. No, that's because he's he's strong. He's a big dude. Right. So when that's happening, and that's the one part that he's not terrible at, and Sabonis was just bodying him, that's not good. Because normally, Cantor's going to go get his on the other end and then give it right back. Like At least we understand that. it it sort of balances out. And then we got nothing tonight. He got out-muscled on defense and out-muscled on offense. And to get manhandled
0: like that, that was – we thought the Miami game was bad with Whiteside, but this was worse. This was definitely worse. This was worse. This was a low point this year for Cantor, who's double-doubled in five of his seven games of the year coming into tonight. And I think it was clearly his worst game of the season. Let's go back to to Timmy, because I think that's going to be something that people are talking about when this comes out tomorrow and everyone's decompressing from this game and kind of evaluating what happened. So 37 points, super close. He had 39 last year, which I'm fairly certain is his career high. So we saw him, like you mentioned, have a great 45 minutes and Oladipo basically stole his lunch and ate it in the last three. So Oladipo got him for a couple steals in the fourth quarter. Oladipo Had a 3 right in his eye to make it 103-97, which essentially ended up burying the Knicks. And then obviously Oladipo has the corner 3 a little bit later to kind of quiet the game down and and make this one all the way for the Pacers to give them the win. So we also saw Timmy take a couple shots in the end of the game from 3 that weren't great. I think that he still feels when he's the number 1 option that when he gets to the end of the game, he has to just take a 3 and take the shot. I don't love to see that. I was feeling really good, and I still feel really good. He had 37 points for goodness sakes, but the last three minutes are basically the reason why he's still Tim Hardaway Jr. and not, you know, a, a potential star in the league. So, I mean he he was looking the part of uh,
1: you know of a star for you know the first you know five or six games that you know they played in this year, but um, yeah, I mean the the late turnovers were a killer. That's the thing is, I mean, the scoring outputs there, obviously tonight was a great night for him, but then it's those little late-game tweaks that he just needs to to wisen up on. And I don't know what his little agreement might be in those situations with Fisdale, if there is any, but um, I, I'm, I guess I'm just surprised because the offense was able to get Timmy a lot of good looks this year, and I don't understand why they don't continue to utilize those. Like, I understand the need for ISO ball late in the shot clock, but, I mean, it didn't even seem like they were looking for those. Out of a
0: timeout, they ran a play, and Hardaway just basically took a contested three. But this is a problem I have with almost every NBA team, and it's a problem I had with the Knicks, with Melo, forever. And it's a problem that the Cavs have had with LeBron, and you can go down the line with star players, whoever's the supposed number one option. Coaches just so often in the end of the game resort to these isolation plays or don't just run smart plays. That's what makes Brad Stevens so good. We saw... He had that great play in the playoffs against Philly last year, where he runs the little pin down screen, and then all of a sudden he's got Horford on Covington for an easy layup out of the timeout. Yep. That's what makes that coach so good. So not a great showing from Fizz at the end there. You know, it, it's just one thing, but and it's not something that separates him from other NBA coaches because it's a problem I have that a lot of coaches decide to go down that avenue at the end of the game. Go with what got you there. Run a nice simple play. Get your best player open for three.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I just. We have to expect it, like you're saying, like that's why he's he's not a star as those kinds of things. But it's it's tough when we've seen him take such big improvements and you think it's gonna carry over towards the end of the game and then it doesn't work out that way. But um you know, overall I mean for me the real killer there was that um that Oladipo tip steal. I think that to me is when I started to feel the tides turning. Yeah, a little when bit he more. kinda
0: tipped it, Hardaway was dribbling with his left and he tipped it around yep. to the right and then went in transition. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, to me, that's when I was like, ah, this might get out of hand now. And then yeah. Oladipo comes you know, back down. I think it was a possession later. Kind of hits that big balls three from the from the wing. And then yep. I, I'm not even mad. I, I think I'm more mad about that one. And that was actually pretty good defense by Timmy on that. He closed out on it pretty well. But the the other one, I mean, what are you going to do about that? It was an air ball right before that. And then the ball's out of bounds in the air. Thad Young reaches over, grabs it, and then hums it to Oladipo, who takes a vicious sidestep to free himself from Frank, who closed out pretty damn hard. He contested the shot. It was he not can, an easy shot to make. It. And then that, it was a really late, really fast cut that he made to just move out of the way, uh, that little sidestep. And then hitting a hitting a fadeaway three, going out of bounds that way, it, it's, it's a difficult shot. And Oladipo, I think last year was probably his best uh, three-point year, if I'm not mistaken, so it's not like he's a career knockdown three-point shooter, but for him to drill a shot like that after, you know, the circumstances of which it got saved off an air ball, it was already out of bounds, sort of, then, I mean, what do you, that's what, it was, like you said, it was a classic Knicks moment, you know, it's just like, of course, that's what happens there to ice the game.
0: It's just the perfect way to end a game for the Knicks, and obviously, we know, we know what this year is for the Knicks, right? This is exactly what we should want to happen. They play a great game. We see some nice performances from some young guys. We've been saying this all summer. And then they end up losing, which gives them better draft odds. But, you know, in the moment, it kind of sucks. Losing, no matter if you think your team should lose or not, it just sucks losing. It's not fun. And it's not something to sit there after and say, oh, I should feel good about this because I'm, I'm a machine and I'm calculating and I need to think about the lottery odds. I don't like thinking like that. If it's February, March, April and the Knicks, the difference between the Knicks having a 30% chance at the number one spot and a 20% chance is them losing some game in Atlanta, then at that point, I'll be a very calculated person. I'll root against them. But for now, it's good to see them play well, and it's good to see them play some fun games. But, you know, when they lose, it still sticks. That's just the way it is. But that's how the game goes, right? They they got beaten by an all-star by one of the 15 to 20 best players in the NBA who ended up coming out of his shell after a tough first half. And that's just how the game went tonight for the Knicks, and they fall to two and five. So, so there we are. So as or two you and put six, it. two and six, sorry. Two and
1: six. Two yep. and six. So as you put it, this season really isn't about wins and losses, but uh or or really we shouldn't be watching and calculating the lottery odds constantly. So it's about development. So a couple of things that I enjoy tonight, despite the uh or besides the Tim Hardaway Jr. explosion. Um there's a couple of bad things and a couple
0: of good things, but no Von remains terrific. I'm, I'm all right. You know, I'm all Kyle. Right. I'm making a statement right here. I'm no longer interested. I'm intrigued. Oh. I'm intrigued. That is okay. It's time. It's, it's time. time. He it's 14 time. points, 10 boards, four assists, two steals, three blocks. Are you kidding me? Five turnovers, but he also had a three. I am intrigued by his play. I tweeted this. I miss Kyle O'Quinn but I could not be happier that Noah Vonley is on this roster instead of Kyle O'Quinn right now.
1: Yes. He's been doing a little bit of everything, man. And to that point, you know, Terrence, uh, the newest addition to the Knicks wall, he, he brought up that point in Slack the other day that, you know, if this is the type of player that Noah Vonley is going to be consistently, which would be tremendous. But again, it's been eight games, but I digress. Would you be interested in having, him play next to KP at the 4 if KP was at the 5 because it seems like his skill set could really complement what KP would bring to the table from the center position.
0: Yes, sure, why not? That's another reason to see KP potentially come back for 5 to 10 games at the end of the year, right? To see maybe how he works with a guy like Vonleh who's someone if he keeps this up, you never know, the Knicks might be able to to bring him back next year and see what can happen, but With Vonley, I I think some of the things that you don't catch, and I still, I can't remember if I said this when we talked on on Monday, but I want to know from Bulls, Hornets, and Blazers fans why he ended up flaming out, or why those teams didn't want to bring him back. Because from everything I see, he's the kind of guy that a team should want to bring back on another one-year deal, say, let's give him another shot, and perhaps we'll get our own taste of that as the season goes on, and we'll quickly find out why those teams moved on from him, but... He works hard on defense. He sets a mean screen. He can shoot the three. The Knicks are even using him to bring the basketball up. And he is a 6'9, 6'10 guy with good size and good athleticism that's bringing the basketball up. It reminds me of, you know, I remember when the Knicks had Derrick Williams. He was another big athletic mm-hmm. guy they had that used to bring the ball up all the time. We see it with Julius Randle is another big guy that often you know, leads the league in coast-to-coast, coast. and he's not going coast-to-coast, coast, but he's still being relied on to bring that ball up the floor and kind of push the action. So we know about his rebounding prowess. Around the rim, he is just relentless. He's always active. It's nearly impossible to have him not be a factor around there, especially defensively. So with a fit next to KP, any guy that works hard on the boards is a good fit next to KP because we know he's not a great rebounder. Vonley has shown some signs of being a decent you know, rim protector. Uh, we know his, his on-ball defense has been fine. It's all been encouraging in my mind, and he seems like a guy that can cleanly fit next to a lot of different players, which is the perfect kind of player to have on your roster in 2018.
1: Yeah, he just has a really versatile uh, skill set. And, Absolutely. And as to your Julius Randle point, you know that's a point we've talked about we talked about that during the summer. I was that's one of your Knicks, guys. Yeah, I mean, I was heavy into that camp for kind of the same reasons we were talking about, Von. Like having a a, a guy you could play at the four who can rebound like that is really important, especially when that's one of KP's weaknesses. So um, you know, throwing the fact that he can still spread the floor with KP out there, then they both be able to hit threes. He can handle the ball a little bit. It's it is very, very intriguing. I gotta agree with you. I, I really am my reaction when they signed him was just like, "Ah, all right. Like it was really okay, I guess so. i didn't ha- I didn't feel about you know any way about it. And th- to me when a signing starts to look like this after you had a reaction like that when it didn't move the needle, that's really enjoyable. It's just such a pleasant surprise.
0: I'd be curious to go back and listen exactly what we said when they signed him because that was in the drudges of summer when we were probably just looking for anything to talk about. and we probably spent twenty minutes being like, "Hey, this guy could be something. I watched him in Indiana. He looked good then. That's the kind of thing we'd be talking about, but nothing but good things to say about Vonley, and I'm glad he's getting the minutes that that he's kind of deserved. I mean, 33 minutes tonight. Another guy that played almost as many minutes as Vonley, 32 minutes, Damian Dotson. His sixth consecutive game in double-digit scoring. Kyle, Damian Dotson. Anything different we saw tonight, or was it more of the same as to what has solidified him in his role in the starting lineup?
1: I think it was just more of the same, to be honest. He just looks
0: at every game. He just fills
1: his role offensively. He's never trying to do too much. You know, I said on the last couple pots, he just, he finds his spots on the floor to shoot. If that's not there, he's constantly moving, whether it's cutting baseline or just cutting or trailing somebody. Um, And that's just how he makes plays. And defensively, he's stout. I mean, he was stout most of the game with his assignments, but that you know that one play obviously that everybody's gonna go back to was the heads up inbounds play. You know, I a, a Pablo Prigioni. So, Charrier just hit a re- a really tough bucket in traffic. It was like three guys surrounded him. Goes up, tough finish, right? And uh, after that, Dotson just swoops in off the inbound, steals it, goes up and under, gets fouled, and makes the shot. And it's like. You know, when you give a guy like that a chance and his numbers are already good. I mean, tonight he had 13 on 5 of 11 shooting, 2 of 4 from deep, uh, 3 rebounds and assists and a steal. But being able to bring that kind of energy, like that's the stuff that young players need to do to stay in. Like to break through, really break through into the lineup and stay in the lineup. And he got his opportunity. He's already been producing the numbers that you'd want to see. But on top of that, it's those little heads-up plays, like to show that he's constantly tuned in. He's he's really active and engaged. So, I, I you know, I'm a big whole team dot guy. So it, enjoying this. Uh, we finally got our guy free because we talked about that all last season too about how we needed to play more. So this is a little bit of, of us kind of uh, tooting our own horn for being right again because we were really high on Dotson last year
0: and wanted him to play more. Whole team, whole team, whole team dot. Big Dotson guys here. (laughs) The only thing I'm going to disagree with you on is you said he doesn't do too much. And tonight, I've seen it a little bit from him too. I'm glad in the past few games before this. All right. So his past three games prior to this, we're looking at 14, 12, and 10 shots. And that's 8, 6, and 6 three-pointers respectively. Tonight, he had 4 and 11. I love those ratios. But he still has a couple of those. Like tonight, I tweeted one out where... He takes a dribble in and then takes like a, a strange contested long two with his foot on the line. I'm like, man, I'd rather have you step back and take an awful three pointer than step into that two that's more contested. Like, take that step back. You know, you're a good three point shooter. It's the little nuances in his game that he'll have to tweak to adjust, but that's also a product of him still learning how to play in the NBA, right? Because he's coming from a Houston team in which he took a lot of threes. He's coming from a year last year when he played with the Knicks that they basically had no one around him because they were just, it was the end of the season and they were struggling and it was the Trey Burke show and it was the Ennis Cantor thing and Timmy's still kind of doing his thing after coming back from injury, but he's still learning his place on this team. Another guy that there's no reason to think that he won't continue to be a member of this starting lineup moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I know we've had a lot of questions about
1: what happens when Kevin Knox comes back and what happens when Courtney Lee comes back. So how do you feel about what's going to happen in those situations?
0: I don't think there's any chance that Courtney Lee starts, but I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I I do think – let's talk about Courtney Lee for a second, though, because I think Ty said it when when we had him on the pod you got your tinfoil hat on at all? Like, do, do you think that he's going to play this year? Because it feels like there's not even many updates. It's just, Oh, he's got the sore neck. Oh, he's got, you know, the sore, what is it? Is it also his back? You know, it's something, it just, it something feels like it's not quite right here that they're just holding him out. But also I'm not sure that he would agree to that. So do you have your tinfoil hat on here? What are you thinking?
1: Yeah, I, I've had my tinfoil hat on. I think you know that because last week or the the week before, remember I was saying, do you think Emmanuel Moutier is injured or injured? And you're like, no, 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 he's injured. But all we keep hearing, we we don't know when these things happened. There was just a neck tweak and an ankle sprain that we knew nothing about. And they've just mysteriously been held out. So I've had my tinfoil hat on, buddy. I think that, I, I don't know what they were planning on doing with Moutier. I just think that he was fake injured, but I stand by that. Um, the Lee thing, I can't help but feel like that they have, or they're looking for a suitor, and I started really thinking about it. And I was like, well, you know, maybe some of these teams that are looking to trade for Jimmy Butler are, you know, that they're sort of waiting for that domino to fall. And then if Butler goes to a different team, then maybe they call the Knicks to try to show up perimeter defending for Courtney Lee. It's a pretty steep drop off. It well, yeah, <laughs> it is. But I was thinking about a team like the Thunder, or the Rockets. Like the Rockets are in need of a you know perimeter defending in the worst way right now so but anyway i digress so um
0: yeah i don't know do you think do you think this is the last we've seen of courtney lee i just have no idea when he would come back if it hasn't happened yet like i just don't know if i believe that all of a sudden it's just gonna be like oh he's healthy here he is courtney lee let's play basketball i mean Maybe in a couple weeks? Like, we just haven't even seen many updates. And I don't know if there's been anything specific that has perhaps gone over our heads. But I would guess that at this point, I just don't know when we should expect to see him. Knox, on the other hand, to talk about the other wing that has been out for the Knicks, we should expect to see at the very latest, I'd say. So today is October 31st. Happy Halloween. You're going to be listening to this on November 1st. I think the very latest, they talked to his dad, he said, you know, between the 2nd and the 10th, so I think at the very latest, 2 weeks from today, is the latest we'd see Knox. When he comes back, I think it's going to be another thing of who's playing the best. There's no reason to take Dotson out, but over that 2 week time period, who knows, Dotson might really go cold from 3, he's not contributing quite as much and maybe he hits the bench for a little bit and Knox comes in. Maybe they do something where they start Vonleh at center and they put Robinson back on the bench and all of a sudden that opens up some minutes at the four for the likes of Kevin Knox. So when Knox comes back, he's still going to get those minutes and I'm interested to see if that comes at the expense of a Damian Dotson or perhaps that affects how they move some lineups around with Lance Thomas and Hazonia. Hazonia, I can't, Begin to describe, and those of you who listen every episode know I can't begin to describe how frustrating this guy is. I think he's one of my least favorite Knicks of the last several years. He, he just infuriates me on the basketball court. Yeah, now I wanted to get to the bad next. This was oh perfect the timing. Seg- perfect yeah, you keep, timing. you keep.
1: I had two segues planned, and you ruined both of them. Synergy, okay. synergy, buddy. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, no, the bad. I mean, he just. I don't understand. I don't understand what I'm looking at a lot of these times. Like, I see I see what he wants to be, and it's this very free-playing uh, sort of point-forward, this playmaking wing, and it just feels like every decision that he makes just does not go the way that he thinks it's going to go. Like, the only thing that worked out for him tonight
0: was that coast-to-coast, Uh, sequence. And then he followed it up with a terrible contested jumper. An awful contested jumper.
1: And it was such a nice sequence. He secures the rebound. He goes right down the court. Little hesitation. Spin move right into the center of the paint. Finishes this really tough layup. And I believe it was an and one. And um, I mean it sucks. It sucks that he came. I mean the, the very next possession he brought us back down to earth. And then I don't even know what he was doing on the floor in the fourth quarter. All right.
0: He, I, I think he played the first half of the fourth quarter, and it was just brutal. That's when the Pacers went on a run. And this is the same mistake that Fizdale made against the Warriors, right? The same exact one, man. So to that point, it feels like—and this is another head coaching thing that I think sometimes these head coaches almost outthink themselves, right? They say, okay, I need to put this lineup out there to start the fourth so I can have my guy still with energy to end. I understand that. But at some point you cannot let this be a formulaic process. You need to feel out your team. You need to look at these guys. There's no way anyone on the Knicks, anyone in the crowd would say, Yeah, this guy Hosonia should play minutes in the fourth. He's looked good tonight. The only basket he made was right around the rim. And then other than that, he had some awful decision making. He's not a very good defender. He gets lost, had seven boards, but you know, at the end of the day, what's that really doing for you if it's not contributing in other areas? These coaches, and Fizdale specifically, that's been my main point of contention with him, is lineup decisions during the course of the game. Because the starting lineup is what it is, and I'm glad that he's made this change. It's clearly galvanized some of these young players. But towards the end of the game, we've seen some tough lineup choices. I still don't love Ennis Cantor with any of the traditional bigs. With Vonley and Robinson, I don't think that Cantor's a good fit next to those guys. So they played a little tonight, and it didn't look great. But having a out there, you have the burt Cantor duo, which is just clearly a recipe for disaster against this Pacers team to go in the fourth. just it is frustrating,
1: yeah, no I mean it was frustrating. Um, I'm trying to think Mitchell Robinson was also terrible. very quiet. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't terrible, terrible, but just quiet. yeah. I mean, he made a couple of nice plays defensively and then there was a couple other drives that he stifled or altered um got guys to kick back out but he didn't have that same that same impact as we saw the last couple of games um frank as as fun as the last two games were kind of came back down to earth passed the ball pretty well but
0: not a whole lot else two for eight from the floor so Yeah. yeah wait i have a question for you let's have some fun with numbers for a second right okay so a stat that ESPN uses, when you load up ESPN, you go, let's look at the Knicks Pacers box, which I always have up in some other tabs when we do the pods so that I can double check anything if I have to. Uh You got the normal stats, and then plus minus is one you have to. Three Knicks tonight were plus on the plus minus meter tonight. Those three Knicks were, one was Mitchell Robinson, two was Mario Hazonia, and three was Trey Burke. No one would have the gall to say that those guys were the best players on the floor. Meanwhile, Tim Hardaway was the worst at a minus 14. So this is why I think that we need to be careful just about making decisions based on what the box score tells us and and understand that the nuances of a game often lead us to come to different conclusions than we would if we're watching. Right? We've said that forever about Frank because he had an awful... Awful statistical profile last year, but we all said we think this guy is good, and we think he still can be good. And this year has been an improvement, specifically the last two games prior to tonight. But just something to keep in mind. Yeah, no, the, that's one thing that
1: it's it's like uh, if you look through the, the Knicks wall mentions from tonight, anytime we tweeted something about Timmy, I saw a couple of uh, people go, Timmy was a minus 14 tonight. And it's frustrating because – we're smarter than this. Like you're saying, like people got to be mindful of the the context to how these things happen. Like, Trey Burke played six minutes. Uh, sorry, not six minutes, 13 minutes. You know, his only played 12. Um, you know, Mitchell Robinson played 17. Those aren't big minutes by any stretch. And they were the only pluses. And everybody else was negative, including everybody who played 30-plus minutes. And, you know, arguably the Knicks looked their best when, you know, those four starters were were in in my opinion you know obviously Timmy was on fire Vonley was great Dotson was very good and uh Frank you know and to me that's when the Knicks were either up or you know competing pretty hard so it's I, I, I hate like those little catch-all numbers that try to tell you the story like it's just very silly like Timmy wasn't a, Timmy was not a negative impact in this game it's impossible to say so
0: yeah and people always point to his defense obviously, as as being the problem, but we don't think he's been as bad. No one would say that he's a great defender by any means, but he still had good energy, and I think at, at some point it's just a matter of there's sometimes when he just doesn't try, and it, it's pretty obvious out there. Depends on the game, but sometimes he gets lost, and and sometimes there are some other reasons why a guy can struggle on defense, but he's just he's just always going to be controversial. He was 10 for 10 from the line tonight. He had seven threes, which was a career high. 37 points on 19 shots, which is simply incredible. So it was a great game from Timmy. And I know the ending sucked. I was literally sitting there at the end going, God damn it, I was going to spend the whole podcast, and I know Kyle and I have always been, been leading the Timmy charge, as he said before. Spend the whole podcast singing the praises of Timmy, and now we have to temper it to be fair, because he had just an awful end to the game as was one of the reasons why the Knicks couldn't close it out at the end, if not the sole reason why they couldn't close it out at the end. Okay, let's talk briefly about, let's see, I want to talk more about Noah Vonley for a sec. Just from a perspective of defensively, do you think that he can fit next to, a Traditional center, or would you rather see him play the nominal center in some of these lineups that the Knicks are tossing out there?
1: I don't think he fits very well alongside like an Ennis Cantor, like I, I think there's too much overlap with what they like to do, so I'd almost like to see them, like you suggested before, he, him be the nominal center out there and then trot out Knox at the four, a, a Dotson at the three, Timmy at the two, and Frank at the one. I think something like that would be worth looking at. I think that'd be pretty fun. It certainly could be. No, I was just going to say that. I mean, that's a good small lineup, but that kind of fits what they've been going for in transition. And it emphasizes that point with finally being able to push. So I think if you started him at the five, that's something that I believe the Lakers did last year with um, Julius Randle. I, I know we keep making that comp. We keep going back to it. But, you know, part of what we saw with Randle last year was playing the five in like some really small lineups and he would just get out there and push on the break. So he would go coast to coast and lead everything. So, I, I don't think that Von Le would be able to do that a lot more consistently, but I think he's capable of doing it. So having that kind of a lineup out there I think would be a hell of a lot of fun and a little bit more effective than you know plugging him in next to a, a traditional Ennis Cantor type of center.
0: You know what's interesting about the Knicks and Pace? Because we spent some of the offseason and leading up into the preseason talking about how the Knicks are going to play fast and how they're going to push the basketball and work in transition. They haven't done that quite as much. But the NBA also has completely upped its level of pace to levels that are simply unprecedented. So the Pacers are, I think, the slowest team in the NBA from before, before tonight, and then the Knicks are 23rd. So even in a game that was featuring two teams that kind of play slow, it was still 107-101. We saw them kind of push it at certain points, but... The, the pace being so crazy in the NBA has thrown our definition for the Knicks completely into flux, and it makes it a, a kind of weird thing to define, which puts us in a position where we have to think about a guy like Vonley and who he fits next to, and Ennis Cantor, who has just had a couple bad games here. He's had some, some struggles. There's been some strife between him and the coaching staff. You can feel it. He hasn't exactly said it in the media, but... In terms of him going to the bench, he thinks that he's deserving of a starting nod because of his paycheck, because he talks a lot about the Knicks, and I don't think anyone would deny that Cantor is certainly an enthusiastic guy that loves the Knicks, and he's done a great job of being that kind of spokesperson for the team, but it's unclear where the Knicks go with him from here, because he played 21 minutes tonight. He was pretty clearly the worst player, maybe this side of Hazonia. He led to Sabonis and Turner putting the Knicks in precarious positions more often than not. He puts the guards in awful positions because they don't rely on him to protect the rim. I'm completely enamored with how they decide to deploy Cantor and if his continued benching starts to affect his mindset moving forward. Yeah, he's very clearly not thrilled with the role. He's not
1: really doing a whole lot right now. Um you know, I think the Nets game he had a fifteen fifteen, but the game before that he struggled against the Warriors coming off the bench. But I mean, it was also the Warriors, so we didn't put too much stock in it. I don't know what they they're trying to do with him going forward, because I I still do think he he should be the starter. I understand our intrigue in Mitchell Robinson. Um, I don't think he's ready to do this on a night to night basis. I, I I think he's further ahead of schedule, but I, I don't think he's really still ready to start, but this is really the night for that argument because he just got, you know, the, the minutes that he was out there, he just got absolutely wrecked by uh, Sabonis and, and Miles Turner. So I don't really know what they intend to do going forward. Cause a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what we expected out of him. And I thought the Knicks were just going to let him eat all year and just let him expire and let him sign a big deal elsewhere. But it just seems like now that's not the case. And his, attitude about it seems I, I guess strange considering how gung-ho on, on board he was all center so I don't know something happened but I, I, I don't think this is really a good role for him
0: right now he just doesn't it's just not very effective I, I don't know man it's tough because he's also a veteran that the Knicks are looking for for some sort of leadership so I don't you really don't want to blame the guy like you understand if you get benched anyone would be upset but if this affects his production I think it, it it should be a concern of theirs and something they should think about. So Begley just tweeted something from the post game.
1: God damn it, Matt!
0: Dude, I got I, you. I'm just, setting you I, up for I it. I
1: just I just pulled the tweet up. <laughs> I'm looking at the tweet and I was like, when Matt pauses, I'm going to read the fucking quote that Begley just tweeted. Do you want to read it and, and then ask me? No, no, just do the segue. All
0: right, just do just do your segue. So pretend like none of that happened. So a tweet from Begley in the post game. <laughs> So Fizz said that the Knicks had a lack of organization on offense late. So they're supposed to echo the play call, meaning that everyone on the floor says it when MSG's loud, and that didn't quite happen. So they weren't communicating well, whether or not that caused the Knicks to completely go into just a panic state, not know what to do. So that's why Hardaway takes the shot. This is kind of what happens with a young team and when you're playing guys that haven't played that many minutes together, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, more or less. Uh, it's the inexperience I and mean, it's the meshing of a new team as well and um, I mean it, it makes sense it, li- I, it does line up with what we saw it, they did look lost out there they looked confused so it would make sense that there was a miscommunication of some sorts so I mean it is what it is and I guess in that situation he worked the ball back to Timmy and, and let him figure it out it, if that's truly the case and everybody was lost but um, I mean, young teams got to learn how to get through this stuff. And we know this is a developmental year, but I mean, they're going to be in hostile environments all season. They're going to have to deal with this again. So it is what it is. It's a learning experience. You know, he had young guys out there to finish the game. I think Dotson, Trier, um, and, and Frank were all out there to finish the game. I forget if Mitchell Robinson closed out as well. But he did not. It was Vonley, wasn't it?
0: They had Thomas out there too. Okay.
1: Yeah. So... So, I mean, it, it's good that it's good that the young guys are are still kind of being able or entrusted to try to go out there and win the game. So I don't
0: I don't hate it. I mean, you got to chalk it up to a learning experience, to be honest. I think you'll agree with me here, too, because I know how we both feel about Hardaway. But we had this debate after the Levert game winner because I saw some people. And I think this is a completely fine argument to make. They say, why isn't. Frank Nilekina guarding Oladipo at the end of a game knowing that the Knicks need to win. That's your best defensive player against their best offensive player. One-on-one, let's win this basketball game by having our best go against your best. I think it's just another case of Fizz wanting to put the responsibility in the hands of his players and ensure that Tim Hardaway Jr. knows he's supposed to be the leader of this team. Again, I think it's a fine argument to make and to question, and it's something that I think people should question Fizdale on. It's something that I hope the media can push him on and say, hey, you have this great defensive player, and you know that the Pacers are going to want to go to Oladipo at the end of a game. Why would you put Tim Hardaway Jr. on him, who is decidedly not as good of a defender? I think he would say exactly what we've said, which is just that Tim's my guy. I want him to be put in those situations to live and learn from it. So same thing from the Nets game. Do you not really have a huge problem with that?
1: Uh, I don't really know. I, I don't it's tough because I feel like for the same reasons we would defend a move like that. We also can tear it down. Like if it's for development and and Timmy's development, I think that's good, obviously, but I I guess you can still challenge Frank in the same way. Like we know Frank's the better defender by a a few hundred miles there, but a wide margin, uh, um, a very wide margin. But why wouldn't you challenge your, your 20 year old, defensive stalwart to keep shutting guys down either you know Mm. what i mean like Mm. the challenges are going to get tougher like i I was trying to talk about it today i thought it had he matched up with oladipo that that was going to be a really good challenge for him because a lot of what oladipo likes to do is just drive and cut and he's always cutting or driving down the center of the paint he always gets there he's he just attacks the rack he's like a right now he's kind of like a westbrook light in that sense like the way he attacks and Frank, if there's one thing that he doesn't do well, it's, you know, he can backpedal all right. But then normally he picks up his little ticky tack fouls in the lane, defending those kinds of drives. And I thought, I was hoping anyway, that we'd be able to see a lot of that matchup tonight. And if Frank's able to adjust to that kind of a, uh, a guy in the opposition. So we unfortunately didn't get to see a ton of it, but I, I just don't. I guess it's teetering that line of who to develop that I think has to be balanced out a little bit more. It's fine to challenge Timmy um, night in and night out, but I think you're going to have to give some of those reps to Frank, even if it's, you know, Timmy gets the assignment for most of the game and then to close it out, it's Frank. I just, I think there's got to be a balance there because you got to call on your young guys to do what they're good at too. You can't just keep aimlessly throwing Frank around in, in hopes that he figures it out either. So, I guess that's really my take on it. It's just tough to decide or, or feel good about these decisions sometimes because you really could develop either way, and I guess
0: it's up, you know, to each person to make up in their minds the case for which side they feel. And it's also something to consider where it's development versus good basketball decisions. So it's fine if you want to say that you want to develop Tim Hardaway Jr., but at the end of the day, he's here to win basketball games. And the Knicks are here to win basketball games. Even if that's not the best result for them right now, that should always be the goal. So if Frank Nelikina playing against an Oladipo at the end of a game is going to win you a basketball game, then that's what you'd like to see from a coach because that should always be in the back of his mind. So I think that's it's something to watch as we move on. Obviously now it's been eight games. Um, we've seen it happen a couple times where they haven't quite made the – seemingly obvious call but it's also good to give timmy who is still in a development stage of sorts we need to keep that in mind that's why this year's leap has been so encouraging give him those reps to kind of develop and see what he can do in those scenarios so with that being said let's take a step back from the pacers game and before we get out of here i want to take stock of the knicks so far this season so they're two and six after eight games They've basically played one stinker of a game and everything else has been close. Don't let the pay, the Warriors score f- fool you. It was a close game. Anything that stuck out to you as really good, really bad, anywhere in between, surprising? What's been on your mind over these last eight games for the 2-6 Knicks? I mean, mostly just the, the young guys in the wing, to be honest with you. I mean, I think we
1: all kind of expected to see a little bit more to Frank this year, and that's been fun. We can't really say almost anything about Kevin Knox because he appeared in two and a half games. Um, for me, it, it's mostly the emergence of Damian Dotson and Alonzo Trier, who have more often than not been consistent. They, they're coming off their gravity, of, you, you know, between 12 and 14 points a game. They're being efficient while they do it. Uh, smart about how they do it. They're they're attacking, cutting a couple of times, creating. I mean, ISO, Zoe a little bit more than Dotson, but um, you know, Zoe's creating on his own. But they're both capable of it. They're they're playing pretty good defense, Dotson especially. To me, that's I guess the more fun part of this because we all had our eyes on on Frank and Knox and even Robinson this summer. But I, I think the most pleasant surprise for me is is those two young guys. Playing really, really well. I know we liked Dotson last year, and, uh, you know, Isozo was a a fun little summer league and then a preseason thing, but seeing, you know, Trier's game continue to pan out over these first eight games, to me, that's what's exciting him and Dotson.
0: Yeah, I agree. The wing guys have been encouraging. I think from a macro level, some of the encouraging signs we've seen is on the defensive end, the Knicks have been. You know, not overwhelmingly good for what their expectations were, but they've been fine. I think you can squint and see the Knicks building a decent defense around this type of core once KP comes back, which is incredibly encouraging. They did a good job tonight of holding the Pacers down from three. Obviously, Oladipo killed them for two deep ones to, to basically ice the game earlier, but still, I think that that's been... Awesome to see, and we'll see how they start to develop once KP comes back. I think we talked enough about Tim Hardaway. Is he the type of guy that could be a part of this roster moving forward, depending on whether or not they end up landing a star player? I think the dots and stuff's been great. I think the two Frankie games where he had 17 and 16 were fantastic. I love the Vonley signing. If you would have asked me if Zonia or Vonley from these kind of two one-year deals they signed would be better, I would have said "hazonia," not hesitated, but I'm incredibly happy and intrigued with Noah Vonley. and that's not going to change if he continues to play with this energy every night because I I just really like what I've seen from him. So I think it's mostly been a, a fun eight games.
1: Let me ask. Yes, go oh, ahead. I was gonna say let me ask you one thing then, but before we like zoom all the way out here, so. Right. Do you think about there's a lot of talk about, well, even if Vonley is necessary Vonley, uh, even if Hardaway is playing well and actually playing to his contract and actually being a a solid impact player, then um, you know, is it a bad thing if they keep him going forward or you know, should they try to move him for the free agent, you know, for a free agent this summer? Does Dotson's and Triers emergence at that, you know, two? position, does that make you feel like the Knicks would be more inclined to make a move? Because it's not just one, it's both of them. You know, had it been one, I would have been like, well, you know, we got to see more. But I mean, they have two very intriguing young guys at that position. So does that help the
0: Knicks make a decision? I don't think so. I'm still skeptical of how Trier fits in an NBA offense just because he's so, he's so heavy and I'm not sure that he makes anyone else better. So I'm still... Tepid on his actual place on an NBA roster moving forward. But that being said, for an undrafted guy, he's been great. Another 14 points tonight, so we had, we can't be anything but impressed with his performance. But that's just, if we're talking long-term, that's how we need to think. For Dotson, he hasn't done any of the other things that a wing like Timmy can do. He hasn't worked in the pick-and-roll. He hasn't shown that he can really create his own shot from three off the dribble. He hasn't done much work with the ball in his hands. He's a better defender, obviously, but I don't think that the emergence of those two should affect how they view Hardaway moving forward just because they're they're much, much different players. If you want to convince me that Dotson is a better fit if the Knicks end up landing a star, like if they get a Kevin Durant and that Dotson's a better fit next to a KP and a KD than Hardaway, you can make that argument to me just because if you argue that the guy that might not have the ball in his hands as much and can spot up from three makes more sense with those two, you can sell me on that. But the for Hardaway moving forward, the Knicks don't need to the Knicks should not look to dump him unless they know a star is coming and they need that money. He is not gonna be an easy guy to move anyways. His contract just makes it a little hard to match up salaries across the NBA. And I still don't think teams are gonna go out of their way to get him. And it's not like the Knicks would end up being able to trade him and recoup a bunch of assets. So I'm curious to see what they do with him because it's all going to depend on who's going to want to come here because that's how they clear out the second slot. It's getting rid of him. And as the days goes on and he plays better, it becomes the question of, is he a guy you want on your team because you think he's good and he could be a fit on a really good Knicks team? Or is he a guy you look to move because another star is going to come? I am going to keep a close eye on that this summer because that's going to be a big thing with all the fallout from the free agency, whether whoever decides to come here or not, if they end up just rolling this team over again next year, he's a really important cog for Perry and Mills to decide. They won't hesitate to cut bait if it means getting out of their star, but if they can only get one or if they get none, what does that mean for the Knicks and what's his role going to be? It's interesting to think about. It certainly is. It really is a dilemma. And I don't think I really believe in my heart of hearts that he can be a contributing member on a championship team. I just don't know if I feel that way because of his defensive woes and some of his decision making and that's with saying all of the great things I've said about him but if you're talking a top level championship team I'm unsure that Tim Hardaway Jr. can be a cog on that type of unit and that's just my speculation at this point and it depends on who the Knicks get if that were to come to fruition, but he's just an interesting player. There's no reason for us to be anything but thrilled with how he's played thus far, despite the end of game struggles tonight.
1: I, I don't know. I, I think we talked about this the other night, or somebody asked us this, but um, I think I stand by. I think he could be the third best player on a, a contending team. I, I could see just the way he's playing this season. Is I'm trying to go off of because I do believe in the improvements that he's made. I I think he could be a legit three. I I think two, like the role we saw him with last year with KP's is probably a little bit too much for him. Uh, I don't, and I know you don't expect him to maintain this level of play being the number one of a team. Um, I think a three is like just comfortably limiting some of what he does, like just a little bit less creating, a little bit less trying to isolate on his own and probably restricts him to being more of a shooter and a cutter, kind of like we saw in Atlanta, but capable of creating at times. I, I think it'd be a really good fit for him. I understand the defensive concerns. I think he's improved those a little bit this season, but yeah, um, it, it'd be tough. But I, I do think a like a third, you know, option
0: kind of thing would work well. Yeah, and I'm unsure, but the Knicks have him under contract for two years after this one. I, I just don't think at this point we should be saying, oh my God, can't believe Tim Hardaway Jr.'s contract. I think we need to move past that. I think we need to leave that in the past and just call it dead. That's where we're at at this point.
1: Well, Can, can I just do one, one thing on that note then? Yeah. So, we, I know me and you like to always defend, not, not defend the contract, but Timmy and he's playing up to his value. So, for, for people, and we see comments and we get tweets all the time that people say he's an overpaid bum. So, some of the names uh, that make right, Slightly more than he does or slightly below, like within a million uh, of either direction for annual salary. Some of those names on, on this list are uh, Jeff Teague makes more. Tyler Johnson makes $2 million more. That's and a it, stressful one. That's Tyler Johnson is making almost $20 million a year. Jabari Parker is making $20 million a year. Alan Crabb is making $18.5 million a year. Ken Bazemore is making eighteen mil. You know, I mean Tristan Thompson, who, in fairness and context of Tristan Thompson and his horrific stats, that that was that was a contending team signing somebody. No, that was a
0: LeBron. Give my guy some money, please. Uh, in
1: fairness, he did torch the Warriors the year before. Yeah. He, he, yeah. Okay. So that's that. He leveraged a situation for sure to get his guy his money, but it was one of the even J.R. Smith. I mean, but anyway. Anyway, so, I mean, there's other guys on this list, too. Bismack um uh, Timothy Mozgov, the, the former Nick great, Ian Mahimi, who's just, just stealing oh, money content. from the from the, from the oh Wizards, just theft. But, I mean, those are a lot of the names in this. That's almost half the list that I'm looking at here. And some of those guys that I didn't mention probably don't deserve the amounts they got, and some of them do. But he, for, for all those people that I just listed there, that's he's doing pretty damn good. You you could be doing far worse than what you know the the production that Tim Hardaway Jr. has
0: been given this team for sure. So I that's that's got to die. I think to play devil's advocate, I don't think the mistakes of other teams should excuse another team's mistake. You know what I mean? Just because the Lakers signed Timofey Mozgov to four years, seventy-two million, doesn't mean it made the Knicks' decision to sign Noah to the same deal any better or worse. So I think that it's all about context, but. With, with it, it, Hardaway. it is, it for, is for that pro- pro- many right for production level at his contract right now Tim Hardaway makes a lot of sense with it's how that, they decide to build maybe yes with how they decide to build this team in the future we'll see if that's still the case but let's cross that bridge when we get there exactly all right so the Knicks are back in action on Friday and then we'll t- be talking to you guys again on Monday. After the Wizards game on Sunday. The Wizards, by the way, my God, what a train wreck. I mean, everybody saw that coming too, didn't we? Oh, yeah. They did their
1: normal PR tour where they said they're going to compete in the East. And this is coming from me. I've long been a big John Wall guy. Long John Wall. love John Wall. I love Bradley Beal. And it, it pains me that they cannot work together for whatever reason in Washington. And it's just a, a total train wreck. And I think Dwight Howard returns on Friday.
0: Oh, yeah. The so, Savior's coming. Don't worry, teams, baby.
1: I just – I don't understand how – they genuinely – Nobody's nobody enjoys playing basketball on that team with each other. Nobody enjoys it. They,
0: they show up and they're
1: miserable. This has been going on for like two years now. It is preposterous.
0: You want to go to the game in Washington? We can get tickets for five dollars right now.
1: I just don't. I don't understand. I feel like that's. It should be a fun team. It's it's sh- like on paper, on paper, it should be a fun team. Like when it was constructed, it it should have been a fun team. Like John Wall and Bradley Beal should have positively worked out
0: more than they have. It's a bummer. The Knicks do have. At Dallas, out Washington, and then home for Chicago and at Atlanta. Then they go at Toronto, but then they're home for Orlando. So we could see them rack up a couple wins here as they head on the road and then a couple home games uh, against some beatable teams. But before we get out here, Kyle, anything for us to plug? All right. So the most pressing thing besides
1: rating this podcast a glowing five stars and leaving a wonderful review um, would be to check out the TKW shop. Etsy public, we dropped the oh, new baby. jerseys. So it, basically, um, everybody should be familiar with what a jersey is. Just you know, the t-shirt jersey, like you'd see at a uh, any stadium.
0: That makes a lot of sense. That explanation yeah. for why it's a jersey, a t-shirt mm. jersey, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Just, yeah, you just, you know, just had to break it down in case. Oh, thanks, man. In case there were a couple
0: people who didn't understand. Yeah, so,
1: yeah, yeah. No problem. No problem. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> so anyway, uh, basically, they're, they're nickname jerseys. So you know, for KP, we have Unicorn. For Neil Aquino, we have the French Prince. Uh, for Dotson, whole team Dot. Zo- Alonzo Trier is ISOZO. So, I mean, we have uh, a good deal of the players on the roster so far. Uh, we just put out the Kevin Knox one, which we put up for fan voting to let you guys pick the nickname, and a Fort Knox one. So the Fort Knox shirt will probably go live in the morning. So, you you know, keep your eyes peeled there. Everything's on sale for the first three days that those shirts are up. So uh, I think tomorrow is going to be the final day for the ones that just came out. The Knox one will probably get three uh, days from when you guys listen to this. So uh, just, yeah, make sure you check them out. Uh, We're trying to put out good merchandise for you guys. If you have any ideas, things that you'd like to see, just always give us a shout. We'll try to make it work. Uh, and make sure you check us out on Twitch we're trying to do our pre-game shows and post-game shows there more consistently we like to do the 2K pre-game show and talk Knicks with you guys and and preview the night's matchup play that out on 2K so make sure you subscribe there it's twitch.tv slash
0: the Knicks wall and that's about it for me fantastic in that case we will talk to you guys on Monday thanks for listening take it easy